The scripture reading today is Luke 12, 32 through 40. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell all your belongings and give the money to the poor. Provide for yourselves purses that do not wear out and save your riches in heaven. Where, where they will never decrease because no thief can get to them and no moth can destroy them. For your heart will always be, be where your riches are. Be ready for whatever comes, dressed for action and with your lamps lit, like servants who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. When he comes and knocks, they will open the door for him at once. How happy are those servants whose master finds them awake and ready when he returns. I tell you, he will take off his coat, have them sit down, and will wait on them. How happy they are if he finds them ready, even if he should come at midnight or even later. And you can be sure that if the owner of the house knew the time when the thief would come, he would not let the thief break into his house. And you too must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you are not expecting him. The word of the Lord. Now, this took place back when the train still ran from Duluth. Marla, if you were to see her coming down the street on any other day at any other time, she would catch your eye, stand out in any crowd. It wasn't one thing that particularly dominated the impression that she would make. It was the sum of the whole kind of a deal. It was a sense of, how do they say a gravity toss, the way she walked with purpose, the way she looked straight ahead like she could see what was going to happen next. If you saw her walking down the street on any other day, at any other time, you would think, she's in charge. Of what? You wouldn't know, but you'd be sure she was in charge of something. But this wasn't any other day. This wasn't any other time. This was a late Friday night, about 15 minutes before the train left for the cities. And when she walked down the concourse from the ticket counter to the tracks, she looked small, tentative, like she was trying to hide behind herself. She looked scared. Mike's fists were shoved inside his jacket pocket, knuckles pushed down to the bottoms, threatening the seams. In his right hand, he clutched the rest of the money he didn't spend on the ticket. He had unconsciously calculated what that money had cost him, what would, it would cost him, and he was going to hold on to it, squeeze everything out of it he could get, 
In his left hand, he clutched the ticket. Even though he was the only one on the platform, he still stood back by the wall, leaning against the shadow side of the far metal pillar. He heard footsteps outgoing off the concrete platform and tile walls, footsteps, tentative, out of rhythm, like they hadn't quite made up their mind if they wanted to be going in the direction they were heading, or not sure what they would find when they got there. Mike looked up and saw a girl, well, a young woman, really, about his age, maybe a couple years older. She was looking around with the same irregular rhythm as her footsteps. She appeared in all of her hesitancy to be heading toward Mike. Frozen in place by the appearance of another person on the platform or this woman's manner or simply by his, well, own overall present circumstances, he did not know, but he did not move, barely breathed as she got closer and closer until she arrived at Mike's metal pillar, leaned her back against the opposite side, and blew a long breath through her barely parted lips as she settled against the cool metal. And then, simultaneously, both Marla and Mike involuntarily shivered. Their own sudden movement or the sudden movement of the other startled them both. And Marla, noticing Mike for the first time, took one slow step back. Are you okay? Mike asked her. She looked at him with recognition or a question, but said nothing. Mike filled the silence. You look like you're afraid or something. Are you afraid? Am I afraid? She said, you're the one hiding behind a post. I am, uh, I, I guess I am, Mike said. You are what? Hiding behind a post? I can see that. No. Afraid. I'm afraid. Marla softened, paused. She paused long enough to feel her own drawn-in chest and her tight shoulders, her chin down, and something that she had kept at bay. Yeah. Yeah, I am. I mean, me too. Afraid. She didn't understand why she would talk to this kid so, well, honestly. She wasn't even usually that honest with herself. She didn't even consider how afraid she was until she had, until he had said the word, until he had, well, that he would admit that he was afraid. To admit that you were afraid was kind of a weakness, and she had always worked hard not to show any. What time is the train, she asked, just to say something else, something different. Should be here, I hope, any minute. Mike looked up at the big clock hanging from the ceiling and then at the doors at each end of the platform. Marla repeated Mike's routine and then looked at him. What are you afraid of? Is something coming? Marla asked. I hope not. He tried for a smile, but it didn't catch. Marla took a small step toward him. It's my dad. He looked at her feet and then raised 
his head back up to meet her eyes. It's this situation I had with my dad, or this ongoing situation. Marla looked into his eyes and wasn't going to look away as long as he didn't. And he didn't, even though his jaw tightened and his tears welled up in his eyes and overflowed their banks. He took his right hand out of his jacket pocket and wiped his nose and eyes with the back of his hand, still bald in a fist clutching the money, the ends of the bills sticking out on both sides. I had to get out of there. He was passed out on the couch, and there was this big stack of cash on the coffee table with his keys and his watch. I thought, I can get out, take off. I didn't even think too much. I grabbed the money and the watch, and I walked to the front door, and when I opened it, I heard him. I heard him launching himself off the couch and, and knocking into the coffee table. He started yelling, you better get here, you little, if, you, if I catch you, you're... I was around the corner before he finished the sentence. Without being aware of it, she had moved closer to him. He had both fists out of his jacket pockets now, at his sides. She saw the bills in one hand and the ticket clenched in the other. Where's the watch, she asked. When I finally stopped running, when I was catching my breath, I realized that I was squeezing tight, real tight in my fist. I opened my hand and I'd shattered the crystal and cut my hand right here. Mike opened his fist and held his hand with the crumpled train ticket up to her. She lifted the ticket with her thumb and forefinger and looked at the several small cuts in the center of his hand. She lightly placed the ticket back. He closed his fist back around it, but not as tightly as before. What about you? What's got you so scared? I took something, Marla said, but not like you. Nobody was doing nothing to me or anything. I just took it. Like stole it? Yeah, like stole it. It's not like the first thing I stole. The first time, there was this thing I wanted, and I just took it, and then it was mine. And I like being able to just take something and make it mine. But then I took something from these people, these guys that's... It's not a very smart thing to take something from these guys, and, and they know it was me. They know it was me who took it, and I got to get out of here because they're looking for me, and when they find me, well, giving it back isn't going to make it better. The sound of the train breaking as it stopped at the platform made both of them jump. They looked at each other, and they could find a smile and make it stick this time, both of them. Other passengers appeared seemingly out of nowhere and headed toward the train's car's doors. They were both just about to step toward the train when Mike saw his dad coming through the doors at the end of one end of the platform. Mike stepped back quickly into the shadow of the pillar, shivering as the wave of fear hit him hard, suddenly. Marla stepped back into him, her eyes on the doors at the opposite end of the platform where two men were walking through with a punishing gait. Mike's dad was coming from one end, his head turning, searching. Marla's pursuers were coming from the other, giving every woman heading for the train a hard stare. The passengers were boarding the train. Mike's dad and the two men passed each other, not even noticing each other. They each reached the end of the platform and doubled back for another sweep. By this time, all the passengers had boarded the train. The platform was empty 
except for the three angry storming men looking like they would collide right in front of the pillar where Marla and Mike were cowering. The conductor called out all aboard and the loud whistle blew. Marla and Mike didn't exchange a word or a glance. They both just ran straight for the train. Mike's dad and Marla's men all yelled some mix of threat and profanity as they saw Marla and Mike right, run right between them and step onto the train just as it began to move. The three men chased and steamed and threatened, but the train outpaced them. Mike and Marla stood there, holding each other, watching their threat and judgment get smaller. Do you think we'll get caught, Mike asked. I think we did, Marla said.